Uh, we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians 2, but before we uh, do so, I think it's important to, to refresh. No, we jumped in it last week, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. It's a letter from Paul uh, to the church in Thessalonica, which would be northern Greece area. And uh, he took off to this particular area, and he did a few things while he was there. We learned in Acts 17. If you want to go read that, if you weren't here last week, it gives the backstory, really the letter of the, to, to the Thessalonians. And uh, Paul went to this town. He and Silas showed up onto the scene, and they preached the gospel a lot. We do know that from Acts 17. Uh, a church was started, which was really cool to see a church begin. Uh, and then a riot started, and they had to skip town. So they were not there very long, uh, maybe three weeks. The text says they were there at least three Sabbaths, so that's why we can know it's at least that. Uh, but others say up to, up to three months. And really the first chapter, Paul was just greeting them and, uh, and thanking them and commending them for their motives carrying out the work of ministry. That our motives for doing things are a really big deal. Because uh, we can do a lot of things with a lot of bad motives, or we can have a, some Christ-like attitude and motives by carrying things out. But I want, you, I want to remind you what he said last week, because uh, it's, a, it's a great reminder as we jump into chapter 2. He says, we remember you, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, your motivation for carrying out the work of ministry, it wasn't about you, it wasn't to get a following, it wasn't because you were full of pride, you did it because you were filled, you were a faith-filled church. That's a pretty good compliment. I would love that compliment for this church to be called a faith-filled church. He said, you carried, you labored, you carried out work, you, you, you did what you did uh, it, with the opportunity of love leading the way, that we can carry out all of our duties, we can labor, remember what we talked about last week? We can labor in duty. Uh, you've all been to restaurant stores where the person that was serving you did so out of duty. And then you've been to those places where that particular person did so out of love. And we said last week, we want everyone to experience when they walk in these doors uh, to be served and to love, to be loved on, literally out of love, not out of duty, not because we have to. And then he, he commended him for this because this was an enduring church. There was persecution. There was tension uh, when Paul would go into a lot of towns and preach the gospel, not everybody sat back and nodded their head and said, that's right. There was a lot that did not agree with him. And so he encouraged them and, and commended them for their endurance uh, because of their hope in Jesus Christ. Last week at the end of chapter 1, he commended them for keeping their eyes fixed on heaven. They served God with a heavenly, with a heavenly perspective. So chapter 2, we're going to jump in. And uh, one of the things you'll notice in chapter 2 is, is all the things that this church got right. Uh, Paul, the things that Paul got right as he was leading them. Uh, if you're a leader in this room, uh, which let me fill you in, if you're a Christ follower, you're a leader, uh, there's some things in this for us today to, to understand as we relate and lead other people. Um, but they got a lot of things right, even as young as this church was. And the reason it's important for us to glean a lot from it is because, believe it or not, uh, in the church today, not just this church, a lot of churches, we don't always, 100% of the time, get everything right. I don't know if you knew that. There's times we blow it, and blow it big time. And what we're going to see in this particular passage is all the ways they got it right. Uh, anyone in this room ever not uh, got something right? 
Uh, maybe you're seated beside the person that often gets things wrong. Don't elbow them. Um, but we've all been in that place. Uh, a few years back, Nat wanted to put up a farmhouse door in our bedroom going into the bathroom. And I thought, how hard could that be? I can handle that. Um, so you can pop the picture up. There it is. It looks like an easy project, right? You just mount the door on the wall. And now you can see the finished product of it hanging about four to five inches off the ground. And uh, it's completely unlevel. And I blamed it on the door because it was an old door. We got it at a, uh, I don't know what it was, some antique place. And we painted it. And it's the door's fault. But uh, that was one particular. Anytime I start a project, often uh, I get halfway through it and think, that was not, I don't think we we're supposed to do it that way. Um, but this church, although young, got a lot of things right. And think about how impressive that is. Imagine a leader showing up to any company and in three weeks uh, launching them into something where they got a whole lot of things right. Uh, It's not feasible. It's not normal. And not only that, there was tension. Paul had to skip town in the middle of the night. So they had a few things going against them to get a lot of things right. One was they were a young church. Uh, The second one was there was not a lot of other churches that had been planted to this point. So they couldn't look to others for ideas and, and, and ways of doing things. And the third one, there was persecution everywhere. So the fact that Paul led them in the right way, there has to be some reasons why uh, this church launched the way that they did. Uh, Many would say that the church in Thessalonica was one of the strongest churches uh, in all of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians 2, we're going to go through verse 7 uh, for right now. Uh, The first chapter was about motives. Uh, This chapter is about Paul's methods for carrying out the work of ministry. So let's read it together, all right? It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. They just uh, struggled in Philippi. There was a lot of tough things that took place in Philippi. In that moment, they could have quit. Did they quit? No. Paul kept pressing on. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition which is a testimony in and of itself. We could create a sermon out of that of the first few verses because when we face opposition, whether it's big or small, in any arena of our life, what do we do? We think, well, maybe this isn't it. Let's quit. Let's throw in the towel. Maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe this isn't what we're supposed to be doing next. But Paul had a call from God, and there was nothing that was going to stop him, so they stepped into it. For For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We didn't just think this up. This isn't something we sat around the table and thought this would be a good idea. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God. We're not here to get a following. We're not here to get a pat on the back. We're here to please God, who tests our hearts. For no, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, uh, we were like young children among you. Uh, These first seven verses, you see Paul, uh, he leads out of something very, very special, something that we can grab a hold of today. He leads out of humility, not out of position, a power, authority, title, his seat on the org chart, he led this group out of humility. And we can see this from a mile away. When a leader, when someone we're with, 
is leading because of their position, their power, their title, wherever they're at on the org chart, or someone leading out of humility. And maybe many of you in this room have been a part of leaders that have, have lived out one or the other. And there's a big, big difference. In our call, Paul, Paul modeled to us, uh, to, the, to the church in Thessalonica, was to lead out of humility. What's the other one look like? Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe I've experienced this. That's why I can come up with a few examples. And let me share them to you and see if it rings true. That when people lead with, with position and power and authority, uh, often you have to feel like you need to walk around on eggshells around them because uh, you're not sure if you can say this or do this or act this out. You walk in the room, and the whole team is on eggshells. It's a leader that says things that belittle, that demean, that devalue those around them. Uh, a person that leads from this position is someone that always has to have the last word, and they always want to let everyone know in the room that they, that they are right, right? that they have the final, the final word on it. It's someone that is constantly finding things that are wrong. Paul was not someone that was a leader without a backbone. That's not what we're talking about. If anybody had a backbone, it was Paul. But Paul also had a lot of uh, accolades, if you will, as well. A lot of education, and he could have chose to lead out of his position and power and authority. Rather, he chose to walk the way, the Jesus way, of humility. And I'm here to tell you, if any of the ways that I just talked about you're experiencing uh, as you're seated under someone's leadership uh, or you're leading and you found yourself getting in that position, uh, there's a better way. There's a better way, and Paul models it throughout this letter that we're going to be able to, 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 to read. Uh, was, the, was the Apostle Paul the big man on, in town? Uh, was he the big man on campus as he showed up in Thessalonica? You bet he was, right? I mean, this was a guy that uh, had memorized the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, a guy that knew the law forwards and backwards, a guy that, that, that had raised himself on the Pharisee org chart to the highest levels, right? But then we know also uh, he was that guy, but then also we know in Acts 9, his life was, was radically changed, wasn't it? Jesus got a hold of him, and his life would never look the same. And we also see another title that took place with Paul after this, as he was known as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if anybody had credibility, if anybody had the ability to go into Thessalonica and lay the hammer down and say, listen up, bow down to me, because i got a few words to share, it would have been, been Paul. But he does not go that route. And he leads the way, he leads the way of humility. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 and 6, he says, You know, we never used flattery. Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, listen to what he says, we could have asserted our authority. What's he saying? Well, it's common knowledge that on the spiritual org chart, the the ability educationally and religiously, Paul had arrived and most of the people around him had not. But Paul chose to not assert his authority. He chose to not come in and, and make people maybe bow down to him. He didn't say, you need to, you need to give me some respect. Uh, do you know all of my accolades? Do you know my education? Do you know where I come from? None of the above. He didn't come in demanding respect. Rather, Paul chose to earn their respect through humility. And that's a big difference. For us to choose to earn people's respect we don't often want to go that route because it takes time, right? I mean, you've got to build a relationship. You've got to do a lot of things right. You've got to be trusted for a long amount of time. 
and then you've earned people's respect. And we know it's just we're all one bad decision away, one bad choice, one bad word away uh, from ruining uh, the respect that we build up with those around us. People today, instead of earning respect, what do they do? Just demand it, right? I mean, uh, you need to respect me. You need to honor me. You need to see my way. Now that we have an online platform, everybody demands respect with their opinions, their, their way of life, their thoughts, their political ideas, right? We demand respect. Uh, I was reading even this week that you can, you can buy social media followers. Anybody ever done that? Thank the Lord. No hands are flying up in the air, you know, during this time. But you can buy. Why would someone do that? What would ever cause somebody to buy social media followers? Well, one, so people would look at them. And say, wow, they got a lot of people following them, thousands. They must be important. And their hope is to turn this false pseudo, you know, respect uh, into this real, authentic respect. And that's just one area, social media. But we do this all the time. We don't want to go down the hard road of earning people's respect. But here's the deal, and Paul models it, that if we want respect, uh, we need to earn it. Don't, Don't push your weight around with your position and your power and your title. That may work at your job, but it doesn't work in the way of the kingdom. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. He says, instead, we could have been like all the things we just mentioned, you know, trying to get a following, asserting our power, doing all of these things. Instead, we were like young children among you, just, this is good for moms, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. I love what Paul does. He uses this mother-child-baby relationship and the idea of a nursing mother with their young. What's that relationship like? That's one of nurturing. It's one of bonding. It's one of love. It's one of tenderness. It's one of care. It's one of always looking out for the best interest of 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 that little one. I know from our own children that is true. And Paul says, our relationship between we, the leaders, and you, the church, is not one of power and authority and control. We're not going that route. I know you've witnessed that in Rome a lot and all over the place. Uh, But we're going to choose the route of love. We're going to show up on the scene in Thessalonica and choose the route of tenderness, like a mother and a nursing child. Uh, the, 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 The way of nurturing, the way of care, the way of looking out for the little one. What a picture Paul's painting. He's painting a picture that this, this group has never experienced in their life. It's always top-down stuff, you know, when it, with Rome. It was always about position and power and control, and you better listen up type stuff. And he says, we're changing that. The way of the kingdom is a, little bit, is a little bit different. Did you know we can lead people the same way? I said earlier, if you're a Christ follower, you're a leader. You may not be leading thousands or hundreds, but you've got influence over people. And in your leadership, you can choose to lead in the way of love, in the way of nurturing, in the way of humility, in the way of attentiveness, in the way of care. And Paul models this not only to the church back then, but to us today. That when we walk in humility and we choose to love people the way Jesus loves people, uh, lives can can truly be changed. Let me ask you a question. Where would Paul get this crazy idea, this crazy idea that we should walk in humility with the people around us? Where would he ever learn that? Uh, In church, always answer Jesus. That is where he would have learned that. 
And that's exactly where he learned it, because he shared about it in Philippians 2, uh, this whole idea of walking in humility. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I mean, don't even have to share the rest. The bar has already been raised to a crazy high level to have the same mindset of Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is the Son of God. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He told everybody who he was and his title and his position. No, he said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've preached out of that passage numerous times, but the idea that we're to walk in humility is not just modeled by Paul to this church, this tiny church in Thessalonica, but it's modeled by Jesus, our Savior himself. So if we were to sum up first, or Philippians 2, we would say, what's it look like to be in relationship with one another? Be like Jesus. How do we be in relationship with that person we don't like? Be like Jesus, who humbled himself. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. And as I was reading Philippians 2 and then this this Paul's methods in chapter 2 this week, um, I think we could sum it up and apply it this way. That if we want to be a good boss, or we want to be a good employee, or we want to be a good mom or dad or, or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa, We want to be good at caring for other people. We want to be good at being helpful to other people. We want to ultimately do good at loving other people. Then what does it say in 1 Thessalonians 2 and in Philippians if we were to give the overarching theme? Man, treat people like Jesus would. Love people like Jesus. Be like Jesus is what Paul's even going to share in verse 13 as we get to it here in a little bit. Paul did this. He did this in the church in Thessalonica. And when he showed up onto the scene, he, he modeled, he set the tone, and I believe it's one of the reasons why this church was successful, because he set the tone for this church to model humility to one another. What was Paul's name uh, before Paul? Probably a lot of you know this. Saul, right? Saul, let's put an S on there. And uh, Saul, uh, he was named after the first king of Israel, King Saul, who was a powerful, strong dude. And uh, so his parents must have had some pretty big aspirations, goals for him to, to one day be that. And uh, so they named him, they named him Saul. And Saul grew up to be uh, s- smart educationally. Uh, he went up the ranks just as he should uh, on the Pharisee org chart, as I mentioned earlier. He did everything the right way. And then Acts 9 happened that we just shared a little bit ago. And in that moment, as Jesus uh, does, he, he changed many names as he uh, made them new in Christ. And for Paul, for Saul, his name got changed to Paul, which uniquely means, which this is incredible what it means. You, many of you may know this. It means small, small or humble. So imagine this guy that's the big man on campus. Everywhere he went, there's Saul, this guy that knows everything. He's taking out the church. He's crucifying Christians. He wants the church to be gone. Jesus grabs a hold of him, this big man. All of a sudden, Jesus reminds him everywhere he goes. When somebody says his name, I know you're preaching a lot. I know you're traveling a lot. 
Uh, I know a lot of changes happen, a lot of goods happen. Don't ever forget, you're small. And, uh, and also, you need to walk in humility. What a name for Paul to change his name, that he is small and he is humble. And in 1 Timothy 2 or 1.15, uh, to think that these words even came out of his mouth um, is absolutely incredible. Listen to how much his life changed. Uh, here it is. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, I know it seems like he's using me for good things, but I am I'm the worst of all of them. Uh, there's a lot of sinners out there. There's a lot of dark, terrible things. That don't ever forget, I'm, I'm right up there with the worst of them. And a question you could ask from 1 Thessalonians 2 is, do I, do I demand respect when I walk in the room? Or do I, earn, do I earn respect? I think the thing that people are longing for the most with leaders or just in people, or, uh, people around them is uh, authenticity. People being, people being real. Nobody cares that you have a title and a big position and a big chair and a big corner office. Uh, I don't think this generation cares. Uh, but when they know you're authentic and real, and they know that you love them for who they are and what they're about, uh, they will climb any mountain for you and with you. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. Uh, you know, when we share the gospel, we can do so out of maybe getting loud. That's why I get a little frustrated with on-the-street preachers. They get loud and obnoxious and mean. It's like, that's not the way the gospel that I know. Uh, but what did he say? We shared the gospel in love. And then he says this, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's one thing to share the gospel with our friends and our family and our coworkers and people we don't even know. It's a whole new level to share ourselves with our friends and our coworkers and people we don't even know. Church, when we share the gospel... And when we share ourselves and those things intersect, the gospel becomes real to people. They see it, living it, and it's being lived out in front of them. That when we share the gospel and when we live out the gospel, all of a sudden, bam, the gospel becomes authentic. The gospel becomes real. And it's exactly what Paul, it's exactly what Paul did. He didn't start the church and distance himself. Although some of you may read it and say, didn't he like, Stay for three weeks? He sure did. He ran out of town. But he left because he had to, because his life was on the line. But I believe Paul would have stayed. But God gave him the, the holy kick and said, get on out of here, because maybe he knew he wouldn't go out and plant more churches if he didn't leave. So he left town. But Paul was a guy that was authentic. He was real. And my prayer for this church, for Centerville Community Church, is that um, it be said of us. It's a church that's real, that's authentic. The curtain's pulled back. Nobody thinks they're any better than anybody else. And it's just a group of people that are struggling along but pursuing Jesus in every way, in every way possible. Uh, that when people see us, uh, do they see the real us? When people see you, do they see the real, do they see the real you? It's a tough question to ask and a good question to ask, but are you, are you sharing your life with people? Or are you just sharing your opinion with people? Are you sharing your life with people? Or are you just kind of moving your weight around and using your power and position with people? Paul gave us an example uh, to walk in humility and share our lives with people. Uh, Paul knew this community was split. 
Uh, while many believed and wanted to follow Jesus, there was a whole group of people that uh, wanted him out of town. As we know, they ran him out of town. So what Paul knew, and this is a big one for us, he knew his example was going to be more important than anything that he said. He knew that his example was going to be more important than all the explanations that he gave. Uh, so what he shares here is not only his example of, hey, Jesus is the only way, but let me also remind you that Christians, uh, they work hard. Christians work hard. In verse 9 it says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So all Jewish males would go through like two tracks of, of growing up. One would be educationally, and the other one would be uh, with a trade that they would learn. So all Hebrew boys would go to Hebrew school, and they would learn the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Many of them memorize it. If they were like me, maybe memorize like a half of one, because uh, that's all I would have been able to do. But uh, So many of them didn't fell off the wagon in that area. Paul didn't. Uh, and then others had to learn a trade, because when you were kicked out of mom and dad's house, you better be able to have a trade, or you're not going to be able to support yourself. Paul was a master at both. He was very intelligent. Uh, he memorized the first five. Not only that, he knew all of the law inside and out, could school a lot of people older than him. But also, Paul learned a trade so that when he would go town to town uh, on his missionary journeys, um, he would be able to do something to support himself. And he, was a, he made tents is what he did. He was known as a tent maker. So he would show up in Thessalonica. He would preach the gospel uh, like crazy to the people. And then when he was not doing that, the crowds dispersed. He would be making tents night and day. And I think it was twofold. Uh, one was so he wasn't a burden to the church in town that he showed up to visit because he didn't want them to have to support him and take care of him. So he did it on his own with tent making. And second, I believe he wanted to be an example uh, to the people, to the people around him. And he could have explained, as I shared earlier, that you need to work hard. You need to follow Jesus. But instead, he also modeled it. Because he knew if I'm only there a few weeks, modeling it is going to go so much further than me just spewing out information to this group. Some of you may have heard these quotes, um, maybe with kids even, that more is caught than taught. So we can teach our kids verbally a lot of things, but they're watching us, which is good and scary, right? All at the same time. Another great quote is, uh, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. If that's true, what are we teaching? Is our example worth following? Does our example line up with our words? You can beat yourself up over this. We all blow it in this area. But we hop back on the journey and we do our best to live an example of the Jesus way before those around us. I want to work my way towards the end, sharing verse 7 through 10 again. And uh, Paul was, um, I shared a tad earlier, he was more concerned about building a family and a community, uh, the body of Christ, than he was a following. That's what we read in the passage earlier. He didn't come there to build a following. He came to, to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to read these again, and I want you to watch the screen and count on your fingers how many times um, you hear something to do with the idea of a family, the idea of building family, the idea of building something other than you need to listen to me because of my power, position, and control. So here it is. Uh, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now listen to why he did it. Because we loved you. 
We love you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our turmoil and hardship. We worked night and day building those tents in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. We came with the right motives, is what he's saying. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you, here's what he says, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. What's Paul saying? Like children, like a nursing mother, like brothers and sisters, like a father. Here's what I want you to do. I urge you to do it, actually, to live your lives worthy of God. What a call, right? I mean, we could sing about that and read scripture about that, but this week, every moment, day by day, what would it look like to live your life worthy of God? Why did Paul even have the ability to make this big call on their life? Well, I think because he created a family atmosphere. He created an atmosphere of which his influence was birthed out of not on Paul, but because he was on the ground with them, and he was loving them, and he created community, and he created a sense of family. One of our top five core values, number four, is this. We are family. That's who we are at this church. We are family. Everyone belongs to a family, regardless of your season in life. And our family situation changes every, you know, in our various seasons of life, doesn't it? We want to invite you to be a part of our family at Centerville Community Church. Why? Because life is not meant to be lived alone. Rather, it is to be celebrated and pursued in the context of community. So here's what we hope. Paul lived this out. We hope everyone that walks through the doors of this building has a feeling of family, a sense of belonging, no matter their age, no matter the season of life, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their socioeconomic status, that when they walk in the doors of this place, it's totally different than what they experience out there. And what's out there? We divide people by all the above, not in the church. And Paul says to the Thessalonica church, not in the church. We are a family. We are the body of Christ. And because of that, let me encourage you. Let me cheer you on. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have days where you're ready to throw in the towel. I, Paul, I've been there. Believe me. But I want you to live a life worthy of God. Big question to wrap it up. Do you show people the love of God around you? Not do you love people, but do you show people love, the love of God to the people around you? I close with verse 13. I told you we'd make it to verse 13, so we can't not read it, right? And we also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as a human word. We didn't make this stuff up, but, it is, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe, who believe. This alone is what activates the work of God in our hearts. When we say you are God, I believe and I trust. This is what activates great faith in our life when we say I believe. We don't do so just for our own good as a nice little ticket, you're made it to heaven, but we do so because it honors God and it honors his name.
So here's the call this week. To walk in humility. And in verse 13, actually just before that, verse 12, to live a life worthy, to live a life worthy of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this church. Uh, While the church in Thessalonica got so many things right, uh, God, we struggle along the way. And God, I pray that you would continue to grow in us humility. The idea of earning people's respect by loving them the right way, not just demanding it from people. The ability not just to share the gospel and yell out the gospel to people, but to show people the gospel by showing ourselves to other people. And God, that we would live lives that give glory and honor to your name. Father, we pray this all in your name today. Amen.